there's a whole half of this world, like Eastern medicine that talks about energy meridians and, and in your aura and all of these things that, that don't get tied into sports because sports is very like lower chakra brute force. However, when you are watching the Olympics and you are seeing like a diver about to go or just anyone who's about to do something, you know, that national anthem before the games, I think almost every athlete is putting themselves in the zone. I'm Andy Petronic, the co-founder of the Whole Life Challenge, the inspirational game that helps thousands of people around the globe take action each day to improve their health, fitness, and well-being. Join me each week on the Andy Petronic Podcast for interviews with guests that will help give you ideas, get inspired, and take action toward being the best and healthiest version of yourself you can be. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Andy Petronic. This is episode number 140 of the Andy Petronic Podcast. Today, my special guest is Ronnie Teasdale. You may not have heard his name if you're not a CrossFitter. That's okay because he's actually in the process of changing his name to a spiritual name. You'll hear us talk about that at the beginning of the podcast. His new name is Ravi Chander. And that begs a lot of questions right out of the gate. Uh, if it, <laughs> Who changes their name? Why do they change their name? Where do you get a new name from? Those were, I didn't realize this was happening. I didn't even know it was going to occur. It occurs in the first couple minutes of the podcast. And it sets us down a route, a wormhole that it, this podcast ends up being the longest podcast I've ever recorded. Two hours and about 15 minutes. I would apologize for that, but there's no apology. Um, I, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't get enough of my conversation with Ronnie. I'm uh, a Ravi. I actually can't wait to do another podcast with him. It gets weird right from the beginning, and um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be stoked. You're gonna be stoked. You tune into this one, and you're gonna want to uh, bookmark it for. Maybe not re-listening, or maybe re-listening. Maybe re-listening. Uh, maybe just getting through two hours and fifteen minutes of a podcast. I'd like to tell you a little bit about an adventure I had this weekend. Before we get to the podcast, I was uh, I'm I've been the coach for my son's pony baseball team now for I've been an assistant coach, not not the manager of the team, but the one of the coaches, which means I basically help the manager make decisions and run practices. And back in the old days when he was five and six, it was really wrangling little little boys running around who were trying to play baseball. And now it's really become a thing. Um, Dash has made the all-star team. And this past weekend, we entered the Memorial Day tournament. And this is a, a short version of the story. On Friday night, we we played a team and we beat them pretty handily. They didn't play. We didn't play that great, but we pretty easily beat the team that we played. And 
we had to play him again in the knockout round in, uh, on Sunday. And the kids went into that game very, very confident, thinking, oh, we're playing the team we beat. They weren't very good. We've got this in the bag. No problem. Well, you probably can guess where that led them. Um, we were hitless, <laughs> basically hitless. I think actually we were hitless for five innings. We went down five, four nothing, and then five to one. And the situation looked pretty bleak. There were two outs left in the bottom of the sixth inning. Now it would have gone to seven had we gotten that last out, but we were over the, we were, had we gotten that last out within five minutes, we would have gone to seven. But if we could start a rally and drag that inning out and score enough runs to either tie or win the game, the game would continue. And my son was up to the plate. There were two outs. He ended up walking, but it took them 11 pitches to get a walk. And that was the start of this rally. We didn't know it was going to be a rally, of course, but it ended up being a rally that tied the game and then won the game in a walk-off. And, you know, the lesson that the coaches brought back to the team was both one of hubris and one of resilience. And it's just amazing to me how cool the parallels that baseball and playing on a baseball team, and this is probably true for any sport. I think it's maybe more so for baseball, um, how they parallel life, how hubris gets you into trouble how it pulls you out of your game and has you focusing on the other person and has you actually participate differently, participate perhaps even at a lower level than you normally would because you don't have to play your game at the highest level you can. And, you know, fortunately the kids were able to not turn that into a complete debacle, which has happened in the past, by the way. Errors and mistakes tend to snowball, and in this case, they didn't, and we were able to pull ourselves back in and be resilient and win the game, and then we were able to win the next game also, and that was the championship game, and we won the we won the tournament, which is the first time Dashiell and I have ever won a baseball tournament before, so it was really, really cool. Very cool experience for the kids, cool experience for me. Um, it was great overall. I, I wouldn't trade doing the coaching I'm doing, which is almost a part-time, <laughs> part-time, full-time-ish job. Uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's really, really amazing. And for any of you dads out there that are thinking about it and you have never played baseball before or you never played soccer before and they ask you to volunteer, I didn't either. I hadn't either. And I simply raised my hand and said, oh, I guess I could do that. When they're six years old, you know, you can wrangle kids. It's all really it takes when you're a, a beginning coach. And um, you never know where that will lead. It's certainly a great bonding experience with you and your son. And it has been for me with my son. I want to let you know of one other thing before I get to the podcast. And that is that I've taken, I don't know if you know this or not, but 
I during the whole life challenge, I publish a new body weight workout every week. I call them my living room workouts. And I've recently made an index of them and published them on my website, andypetronic.com forward slash workouts. So if you want to see all the workouts I've ever put up, which are, there are 29 of them now, and you want to see what they are, and then you want to follow along video to check out to go with them, they are at that link, andypetronic.com forward slash workouts. Check it out. Uh, I'm going to get to Ronnie and uh, bringing him in. Ravi, Ravi Chander. Um, one of the coolest co- parts of the conversation for me was our conversation about cymatics, which I didn't even know what it was before. Um, it, it's really the science of, and I, I may get this wrong, the science of sound and vibration and its impact on bodies of water or uh, maybe not just bodies of water, bodies of liquid. If you know, here's one of the questions that came up during the podcast. If we are 70% water, wouldn't it make sense that sound vibrations would affect us profoundly at a cellular level? Like, how would they not affect us? I know when I hear a song or when I hear a certain chord progression or when I hear a certain even tone, the, the pitch and the volume, they really do affect me. And, uh, sound healing and vibrational therapy. It's all just really fascinating stuff that we talk about. We get into in the podcast. So I'm not going to belabor it, belabor it. If you want a complete set of show notes, you can head over to wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. And without further ado, let's bring in Ravi Chander. Enjoy. I'm in the living room of how do you, what do you go by? Cause your Instagram name has <laughs> completely changed. Are you still Ronnie Teasdale? I am for you. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, what's funny is yesterday I just ordered myself a new name. <laughs> You're like Prince now or what? I'll find out in four weeks. What does that mean? It's Order. coming in the mail. <laughs> what? <laughs> so it's like a mail order bride. <laughs> it's uh. <laughs> Uh, a spiritual name having to do with the stars and my birth and wow. all that. Who do you order those from? It's Amazon? Uh, the 3HO Foundation. It's huh. it's through Kundalini. I thought we were going to wait a minute before we got into this crazy stuff, yeah, but yeah, maybe yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> it all starts with the name, right? The spoken word. Do, do you... But So your name on Instagram is what now? It's... Ronald. It doesn't look My like... My name is Ronald. But it doesn't look like Ronald. I know, I know. But another way of spelling Ronald is R-A, like Ra. Ra, yeah. Z. Oh, yeah. N-O-L-D. Yeah. So it's just a little play. Oh, okay, okay. Because the sun is... I'm an enthusiast for the sun. Yeah. And Ra, the sun god, the... Oh, Ra is the sun god? I didn't know that. It's, it's one way to explain who Ra is, yeah. Okay. From Egypt. Okay. The ascended master that came to Egypt to help save the people, similar to the Jesus story and Buddha. And wow. But this is older, I would imagine. Yeah. Right? Much older. So we're talking 20, like thirty thousand years ago. Right. Depending huh. if you if you if you go by what we're taught in school, then it happened thirty five hundred years ago. 
So like these are Egyptian pharaohs like King Tut time or before that? These are an ascended version of humans. So we're talking actual gods in quotes. Right, right. Well, no, but the story, the story, I mean, they're stories like who, what, when were these, what was the origin of the stories? Like what time of history did this history is a little convoluted Yes, because of the agenda of the school system? Yes. So what I'm saying is the stories that we think of in the mainstream is this Ra was a fictional character that people worshipped. 3,500 years ago okay. in Egypt. Okay. However, if you go into, if you look under, like through the books and all the texts, maybe it's not so fiction. And huh. then you're getting into some some weird things right. about where these, quote, fictional stories, where they originated and and what the truth is, if it's possible to even know that. Yep. And then we're talking about Ra being a combination of souls from the planet Venus who have ascended to a level where he doesn't have a body anymore, but then came to earth to help us through our ascension process. And Hmm. he comes down and gifts mankind with technology and a way of being, which we completely flipped over and turned into like, a better way to kill our enemies. Hmm. That's what that's what usually happens when people come to earth to save the people. They get I mean it's the the Jesus story too, right? Let's put this guy on the cross. It's a better right. <laughs> it's a better uh Yeah, but this is maybe should we just keep on going with this? Well, I mean, you know, like I was going to say did Ra ride a unicycle. I mean, we could just jump into that. <laughs> Well, there are wheels and cycles of time, which they are very, very animate about. And I was actually, so the universe, uh-huh. right? That's a, that's yeah, a there you go. A I didn't, didn't think of that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one. <laughs> right. It's balancing on something, perhaps. Exactly. Well, yeah, so so a little bit of background for those of you listening that might think you've just tuned into the wrong podcast. Um, Ronnie and I uh, go way back. Well, it's it's really interesting. We, we've never had much personal interaction. In fact, I don't know if I ever had met you mm-hmm. prior to two weeks ago, like in person, like real physical. I mean, I'm sure I've seen you at CrossFit competitions and bumped into you at regionals or, you know, other places, but I don't really remember having an interaction with you prior to meeting you at the beach, trading you, giving you back your unicycle that I borrowed for a year and a half. That's crazy. You're right. But we've, we've been intertwined sort yeah. of. Yeah. So, so you, this is for everybody else. So Ronnie was the founder of a CrossFit gym oh, quite a long time ago called CrossFit Mean Streets in downtown. And, uh, uh, when did that 2009, 2009. Okay. So you were about five years after me, which was still kind of early on, it which was, is kind of weird, yeah. you know, in the, in the world of I CrossFit. Mean, you're OG, right? Right. You're one of the, you're like number. I was like, five well, or three or I was, six or when I think when I started, I was like 14, but now right. the list keeps 
people keep cutting out of the list when mm. they and then they know. just get deleted. So yeah, so now I think CrossFit LA is now down at like nine or eight or so I don't know where we really were. But yeah, we were really, really early. Yeah, I mean I was looking at videos of you in your gym from from day one, essentially, because there right. wasn't much stuff back then. Right. And then of course I wanted the name CrossFit Los Angeles or CrossFit DTLA. Were they giving were they giving uh were they still giving out city names when you affiliated? Yeah, because they was, stopped doing that. Oh no, I was able to. Oh, I can, I didn't I didn't know they stopped doing that. Yeah, they don't. They won't give a. I don't know about area codes, but they won't give a city name anymore. So it's got to be a. You know, I don't know because it's inevitable. Else. There's going to be more than one in the city, right? That makes sense. So what was your? You weren't Mean Streets when you first started. Were you downtown LA? Or? No, they wouldn't give it to me because it was too. Anything oh, with Los close. Angeles, I couldn't use. Wow. I didn't realize yeah. I had that kind of power. No, you did. <laughs> <laughs> and it you was, were LA. You weren't even Los Angeles. It, I, was, right. I was like, hey, wait, are you CrossFit LA or we're Los CrossFit Angeles? Los Angeles. Okay. But we, we right. abbreviate it, you know, of course, CFLA. I remember I was trying to make that argument like, hey, yeah. why are you saying that LA is Los Angeles? It's not. Right. And I'm trying to be DTLA. Right. And they just were like, no. So then I... Wow, thank you guys. That was yeah. that's good. No, they they do <laughs> a they good job. Been, I would have been pissed. Like, <laughs> fuck, some you let you let somebody else affiliate with almost the same initials as me? Crap. No, they did a good job. And then I I was right by Skid Row. Yeah. And so then I named my name or name my gym Skid Row, CrossFit Skid Row. And somebody else was using Skid Row, but they were affiliated under a different name. There was and another CrossFit gym called it was a uh, on a marine base in San Diego. Something. Oh, like that. oh, not in, not near your Skid Row. Oh no, no, no. They were. They had called. But they're calling themselves CrossFit Skid Row on ah. like their website was CrossFit Skid Row, even though that that wasn't their affiliate name. Yep. So then CrossFit was like, "Hey, you're using you're using this name, but Ronnie Teasdale has just licensed it." And they're like, "Wait, what? Like, we're not officially licensed under this name, but we're using it." So then I was like, okay, guys, it's all right. You guys can have that name. So then I just went with Mean Streets uh, because in 2008, 2009, downtown LA was different than it is now. And yeah. it, it really was Mean Streets. Like, like it really was. That name ended up being something I had to sort of live with once it got all cleaned up and, you know, girls were kind of, afraid to come to the gym based yeah. on the name yeah but i made it work and then i was sort of doomed to the the, the prophetic nature of the name also and well you had you know i mean and this is you know interesting that we're talking about this because i've never talked about it with you before but in my mind you had a you know kind of billy badass feel about you you know and the way your approach to crossfit training your abilities you know, cause they're pretty spectacular, you know, your physical ability to do stuff. And, and then the name mean streets, like this guy's, you know, it, it felt like the he-man woman, woman haters club, you know, like you were the, which you were the leader of, which yeah. is quite a bit different than what I get when I'm around you, you know, like, so it's, it's just interesting. It was very interesting. I just came off of a, a hockey career when I 
was going through this. And in hockey, your athletic persona is very, very tough. Ice hockey or? Yeah, ice hockey. And I was, I was the guy whose job it was to hurt the other team. Hmm. I was fighting every game. So when I would show. Were you a pro? Were you a, what level? The answer to that is no. I did play in professional leagues, but not NHL. Got it. And I should say professional league with a period. Uh, And then my choice, I grew up in Michigan. So my choice was move to California and start a gym or continue playing hockey, which is the route some of my friends did. And they're still kind of drinking beer every day. And it just wasn't a route that I thought was very evolving. And I was massively sort of experimenting with the evolution of myself since I was 17. So playing hockey and continuing to play hockey, I really like to just get as good as I can at something and then just cut cords and try something else. And so that's what I did when I moved here. The thing is that when I would show up to CrossFit competitions, my mindset of how you're supposed to compete didn't, I think it didn't match what everybody else's mindset was. Or maybe back then it was a little bit more hardcore. But in hockey, you hate your right opponents you you hate them with a passion and you're, you're beating other people yeah so you, you you only win if everybody else loses right and my job was to make sure the other team was going to the hospital right and that's how we won right because the less people capable of playing the game the you know they can't score goals mm-hmm. so so my persona within the competition world which is how everybody knew me yeah except for the people in my gym it was different. Yeah. People yeah. in my gym, it was, a, it, was, it was a different feel. But back in the early days, I think CrossFit was a little bit badass, right? Yeah, I think it was. And I just thought, okay. I was a soft version of CrossFit. I was, very, I was much softer than the, you know, the military and the Navy SEALs and the Marines and, the, you know, and, and a lot of the people, the early adopters who were pretty tough people just generally. I mean, I was tough too, but... I was kind of a bridge to people that weren't so tough. I actually think I regressed in my personal evolution the first few years across it because I was, I was meditating. I was vegetarian for a year or so. In the first two years of CrossFit? No, no, before I knew what CrossFit was, when oh, I was really? just a personal trainer with his own gym. Uh-huh. I was very zen. And then this is in downtown? Hair, this is in LA? Yeah. This was before I knew what CrossFit was. Hmm. And then I walked into a CrossFit gym in Utah, and then everything changed. They told me about regionals. They told me about the games. I looked at the games, and then my mentality went back to hockey, hockey Ronnie, which I already left behind. Right. 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 But that, so I was like, okay, I know how to do this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Totally. And yeah, and then I, that carried me through the, the, cro- the early CrossFit competition days because yeah. there were once upon a time wasn't CrossFit competitions. Yeah. And then the games happened and then local competitions happened. What was your first CrossFit competition? It was the OC Throwdown. Which was what year? 2000. 2010? 10. 2010. Yeah. So I, had, I took third place at regionals in 2009 and qualified to go to the games which was a complete 
accident, really. I uh-huh. mean, for me, CrossFit was just a fun way to see, to test myself on a regular basis. Like I didn't, I didn't have that mindset that you had. Um, and nor was I training to beat anybody. I wasn't, it was just kind of cool. Like I beat myself more than anything else. And, uh, in Oh nine, when they announced that they would have this regional competition to go to the CrossFit games, first of all, it was weird because anybody could go to the CrossFit games before that. It was, it was open in aromas and it was like a festival, you know, and you could put your name in a hat and you, you, they would pull out a hopper, not your name, but you, they pull out a workout out of a hopper. And it was very, very informal. And, um, they announced regionals and people were like, Hey, are you going to go? I'm like, I guess why not? What the hell? I mean, it's just like a normal day in the gym. Like I don't have to right. not, nothing to prove. I'm just going to do what I normally do. And I did. And it, and it just kind of ballooned into this. Wow. I, I'm actually pretty good at this. And, uh, I remember I was going head to head against, um, Brian Chantosh in the, um, there was an 800 meter run with, I think it was three rounds of 800 meter run and 30 overhead squats with uh 115 maybe maybe it was 95 it was and it was three rounds and I remember that happened to be something I was really good at I'm, I, I suck at snatching I suck at the Olympic lifts but for some reason that movement was good for me at least at lightweight fairly right. lightweight and uh I powered through that I won that event which re- really basically inked my um, podium finish in the regionals and uh, then ended up at the games, which I, where I got completely embarrassed. I mean, not, I, I'm not embarrassed by my performance, but it just sucked. Well, you went <laughs> to the games in 09. I went to the games You're in 09. Games, That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I, I remember the infamous, um, the sledgehammer drive. They had this stake where you mm-hmm. had to sl- stake a sledgehammer down into the ground and my, my stake did not budge. Now, I don't, I love to say that it was not me. Like it was the, I hit a rock. I have no idea. No, it's possible. I have no idea if that's true or not, but my stake didn't move one freaking iota. I was, it was just, it was hilarious. I mean, people, cause you had to pound the stake into the ground and then get back to the rower and finish on a rower. Yeah. I never got back to the rower. I never, I just, <laughs> just stuck. I watched all those on the computer. Yeah. That, that whole series. And that's when my heart started beating this is my first exposure to CrossFit essentially right. was watching the 2009 games oh, cool. on CrossFit.com. Yep. And, and I was getting adrenaline, adrenaline surges that I hadn't gotten since physically being in a fight on the ice. Yep. And I, I pretty much just dropped all my plans of what I was doing with my business and right. started making moves to turn my gym into a CrossFit gym. I signed up to get affiliated and then was an affiliate like six days after I got my cert. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. That, that was a journey, man. It was, it was fun. Well, you've, and then you kind of, uh, well, I mean, we could spend the entire podcast talking about CrossFit, but I don't want to do that because there, there's so, way more to the story. There's way more, and there's way more that I want to talk about with you. I know a way to transition. Okay. Have you ever been in the situation where it's time for lunch or time for dinner and you turn to your coworker or your wife or your husband and you say, What do you want to have for dinner? Or what do you want to have for lunch? Or where do you want to go? 
and nobody seems to know. Nobody, nobody has any good ideas. Nobody really wants to make a decision. That has happened to me over and over and over again in my life. It doesn't really happen to me anymore because I get my meals delivered to me. My lunch is delivered to me from the good kitchen. They do breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. They're whole life challenge compliant. They are keto. They're, they're options for ketogenic, for paleo, for uh, vegetarian. They're from sustainably sourced uh, farms, uh, fully organic which I think I've already said, and they're delicious and they sit in my fridge and I don't have to think when it's time for lunch for me or for others that get dinners delivered or even breakfasts delivered, there is no thinking required. You just pull it out of the fridge, you can pop it in the microwave, you can heat it up on the stove and bing, bang, boom, you've got your meal right there. So I highly recommend it. It does wonders for my week especially my lunches, and um, I highly recommend checking it out. You can use this link for 15% off of your first order. It's thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. Thegoodkitchen.com forward slash WLC. All right, let's get back to the show. So I started getting injured very early. So before the 2010 sectionals, my shoulders, because I played hockey and I was small. So you did? Did you do sectionals at, at the one that I put on? Yeah, that was the sectionals at. That's probably where I first met you. Yeah, because I was the MC and I was. I would not that you would not that we actually had a conversation, but I was running the event. Mm-hmm. That was an. I loved that event. That's one of my favorite. I loved building it. I loved creating those workouts at the stadium at the, at Drake Stadium at UCLA. Um, it took me. So this is the first time I pushed myself that hard. Yeah. It took me like eight days before before it felt like I had any energy in my body wow. after that event. Wow. Because I had been training. I hadn't been training at that level. Yeah. I was just doing yeah. main site once a day. Yeah. There was no like do two times. Yeah, day. right. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> They're running up and down the stairs. That was cool. Yeah. That was, that was I mean, because you could select all the workouts yeah they they let they let sectionals be whatever you wanted we we put on one of the best ones in the country in fact i remember dave coming to me afterwards and going how did you you know he asked me a lot of questions about how to do that because i think he had the gears turning already that that they were going to standardize things and uh bring it in house and do regionals rather than sectionals and i remember from a business standpoint you were you were on it also like it seemed like I mean, you sold all the equipment afterwards. You were selling yep. everything. Yeah. <laughs> and so for, I wasn't just looking at it from an athletic pers- perspective. Yeah. I was sort of admiring you from a distance about huh. how the the whole thing played out on all levels, hmm. who you were choosing to announce and right. all that stuff. But this is all brand new to me. Yeah, right. And so... I was getting injured because my shoulders had been torn several times playing hockey Hmm. and I didn't know that it would be a problem ever in my life. So I just never got, I've never gotten surgery in my life, even though I've got tears in my labrums and my shoulders and my spine's all twisted and my neck is all messed up. And because I didn't, yeah, I just didn't take care of myself. I didn't have a personal trainer. I was just teaching. I was just running into people going as fast as I can on the ice and right. just not able to walk the next day and then just 
practice and you were like Jack. What what do they? What was the foot, football player? Is it Jack Ham? They they like the assassin who would just yeah. fling himself as hard as he possibly could at his. Uh, it was bad. Yeah. Even during fights, my hands would get more trashed than the other guy would get a black eye, and I wouldn't be able to open my fist for a month. Wow. Like it wouldn't. It did the trade off. Yeah. I was just crushing my body. Yeah. And I played since I was three years old. For so for me, that was like actual real life. Yeah. So I was getting injured doing CrossFit because we're doing kipping pull-ups and muscle-ups and all of these things with my already injured body. So I'm not saying CrossFit injured me. I'm saying that I was trashed and I was getting injured. So then I couldn't train. For me, it became how do I still compete? Because I was getting on a lot of podiums. I I was placing first at a lot of events. How do I still compete without being able to train? And that's where all this like wild and crazy stuff that you see see have seen me doing over the years came from because Hmm. doing traditional training wasn't working for me and so i had to find the efficiency crossfit was cool because it's a sport which means that you can look at the rules and you can get to the finish line however however you can and for me it came it came down to diet and just finding efficiencies within the competition floor and outside of the competition floor that I could do that would make up for my lack of training. Yep. So I would do things like not ever drink caffeine because three, two, one go happens on the competition floor with music. I also didn't listen to music when I trained in my gym because I needed to have as much of my adrenals working as possible Mm -hmm. so that I can go harder than everybody else. And it really became a a game of that for me. That's what CrossFit was. It was how do I do all the other stuff as good as possible and to to make me perform. And I essentially, my entire CrossFit career, barely trained for CrossFit and Mm. did, you know, I had chores of like going out into the sun and earthing and drinking the best quality water that I can find and breathing exercises and, and all of this stuff. And then of course, looking at the rules and trying to bend as much of them as possible. Wouldn't you get trashed though after like, kind of like what you described in the 2010 sectionals, like if you haven't been doing a lot of pull-ups and suddenly you do a hundred. So then I did get trashed and then I got more injured. Right. And now I'm at the state where I am now where I don't really train much of anything. Yeah. Right. So yeah, but so the competitions would trash you and then you'd spend your time between competitions recovering via sun and water and the things that you found to heal your body, but not training. Yeah. And this sounds weird, but I can like an example, the people who worked for me and my members, they would all be beating me all year long because I wouldn't, I, I also wouldn't train to maximum capacity. That was when I would work out it would just be move as perfectly as possible mm-hmm. at all times. And so everybody, average people in my gym would be beating me in workouts. Mm-hmm. And then so then I've got trainers working for me that are looking at me and being like, how the hell do you make it to regionals every year, dude? Like, you suck. <laughs> and, then, and then other people, like some of my members that have been around since the beginning were like, no, you guys don't understand. When, when the Open comes, like Ronnie's going to perform. Right. But you... It, it wouldn't compute in people's head. Yeah, right. 
Right. Like even now, I look like like I almost have to. It's not like I go around telling people, but if I told somebody that I've made it to CrossFit Regionals, that they're just like, hmm, are, <laughs> right, are, right. Are you sure right. you're talking about the CrossFit? Like, right, right. Uh, but yeah, so it's all that other stuff. That's that's what became really interesting to me and hmm. and opened up the next evolution of sort of what I'm into now, which is, which is that and promoting all that. How did you start down that path? Like what were some of the things that you uncovered initially that were, that became part of that journey? Well, diet was the primary thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what zone was. I didn't know what paleo was. I was just doing the, the low fat, high carb sort of, you mean prior to exploring right. nutrition, right? And then I just started trying everything. And every diet you mean or every what do you mean everything? A lot of different diets and then I started the main thing ended up being like I did gluten-free, soy-free. It became a hormonal optimized diet. So for my athletic performance, it was it was a lot of fat but what was really important was the quality and i was i was spending a lot of my resources and energy finding and eating the best quality food when you say resources do you mean money yes right <laughs> cuz it can get really expensive right like very expensive yeah. as expensive as as you have yeah. like it's never ending right so and and I really think that's important. Yeah. I was able to to do crazy things because of my nutrition. Crazy athletic feats. To me it was crazy because I know sort of how I could go from zero to hero and it was I was asking my body to do things that it really didn't want to do and I was able to do it. And for me it just felt like superhuman. I mean, I think you also have to consider that you, because of the years of hockey you played, you had a neurological system that that didn't require you to practice like, you know, doing some of the technical things, the Olympic weight, the Olympic lifting or the muscle ups or the the things that are skill based as much as somebody would who didn't have so, I mean, when you're a hockey player, I mean, I, I can't really think of many sports that have the same sort of neurological requirements and, and, um, well, that's enough. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's every, just a skate. And then you're, and then you have to skate and be able to perform at a very high level athletically. So then, the, then that's, that begs the question do people need to be training in the gym all day long? Like how much right. adaptation, if you've done already 1,200 muscle-ups this year, do you still need to be programming workouts with 30 muscle-ups? Do you get that much stronger? And would meditation work better? And I'm here to say that things like that actually do make tremendous difference. If you've never used the power of intention, you've got capabilities there you have a potential there just like in in crossfit when you train things that you've never trained before it makes you better at everything that's the whole premise yep 
eventually you're good at everything physical and you really have to start going into the, for lack of a better word, the non-physical space. And when you start building there, your physical components will work better. Do you put nutrition as one of the non-physical elements? Are you talking about that? Are you talking about other things? No, I started going into other things, but, but yeah, nutrition is tied into the physical world and the physical reality. And I think it's something that a lot of people understand. I just also think there's more. There's, there's a whole half of this world, like Eastern medicine that talks about energy meridians and, yep. and in your aura and all of these things that, that don't get tied into sports because sp- sports is very like lower chakra brute force. Mm-hmm. However, when you are watching the Olympics and you are seeing like a diver about to go or just anyone who's about to do something, you know, that national anthem before the games, I think almost every athlete is putting themselves in the zone Yeah. without maybe being conscious of it. Maybe in 2018, everyone's conscious of it, but that, that mental strategy that you're doing during the national anthem and you're, you're visualizing the first shift or the first period or the last shift or the score at the end of the game, all of that can be worked on that yeah. all can be practiced. And I don't think anyone's, well, I shouldn't say that. That was the stuff that I was interested in, in exploring. And I really like, I've, I've not worked out for months, like nothing. I've, I've laid in a bed reading books for months and current to current day. Well, even back, I mean, there'd been times when I couldn't even turn on a light switch because my, during my CrossFit career, Hmm. because my shoulder was so messed up. So I wouldn't be doing anything and I was still able to keep my body mostly functional. And if 90% of CrossFitters quit, athletic CrossFitters quit working out for three months, it would take them like three to seven days to get their body back. It's, and they might even be better. It's a really interesting point. You know, I have the longest I think I've taken off in the last 15 years has been, I mean, I got to put an asterisk by taking off because I'm still very active, even if I'm off, you know, like I'm not laying in a bed. I probably the longest time was actually when I, I don't know if you knew this, but I had hemorrhoid, I had hemorrhoid surgery in 2011. It pulled me out of actually competing on my team in the games. Um, that was probably the longest period where I was bedridden and off like six weeks. I could barely move. My longest walk was from my bed to my bathroom, which was like from here to your couch over there. It was, it was the worst experience I've you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone in my, you know, worst enemy. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, that's probably, I hadn't thought about that, but that's probably the longest time. And I, it didn't take me that long to come to get back. I mean, I don't really remember some long, slow process to get back to the level, which, which I was going to the games on a team. It's pretty high level. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember some laboriously, long, like I couldn't get back to my weights or my, 
I didn't do it the first day in the gym, but you know. But even in this circumstance, you're not looking at it as a positive. So when people take time off, they're because they're recovering from surgery. They have to. Right. Yes, right. So there's a way where you can take time off and know that it's beneficial and know that your body and trust that your body's going to be fine mm-hmm. on game day. And I'm not claiming to be a games athlete, right? These guys, these guys are on another level, but I do know that these guys have very good control of their reality. On top of their training, they are the best at knowing and doing what it takes to situate themselves in a reality where they perform well. Mm-hmm. And I and I know it's more than just diet and exercise. Yep. And it can be it can be something that all people utilize. Well, it's interesting, you know, just the shift in language from I have to to I get to. You know, because uh, when I refer to that taking time off for the hemorrhoid surgery, I in my head it's I had to not I got to. And that little subtle just change of one word is a massive energetic switch. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to I want to. Right. And then even... I choose to. I'm blessed to. Right. Right. Like you're... <laughs> so... Stress. So this all goes into stress. And... And if your adrenals are pumping all day long because you have to pay your bills or you have to take care of your lawn and you have to train, then that affects you on game day. So this is another thing. So I know that stress affects athletic performance. This is like a real thing that we know. If you're really stressed out, your adrenals get stressed, your nerves get stressed, you can't perform as well as if you weren't stressed. Mm -hmm. So this was something that I had to pay attention to. And what that equated to was things like, I don't listen to the music everyone else listens to when I'm training and when I'm not training, because that rah, 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 that that war marching music that's so popular, yeah. it's not good for my nervous system. So I listen to frequencies of sound that are in harmony with my physical and energetic body. How did you figure what those sounds are? Out. So it all comes down to geometry, but... Because really? everything's, ge- yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, everything, everything's math or geometry. or Geometrical. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's a harmony in geometry. And the frequencies of music and sound and light, This is these all affect our cells, especially when you start looking at our cells being mostly water. Mm-hmm. And because we know that we can easily, the science of cymatics, which they put sand in water and then they vibrate different tones through it. Mm-hmm. They can see the sand arranging in certain geometrical shapes. I didn't know that was a science. Cymatics with cymatics. a C. Huh. Yeah. Oh, cymatics with a C. Interesting. And they're not two-dimensional shapes. They're three-dimensional shapes. And you start seeing what's sort of popularly known as sacred geometry. Wow. But then other scientists start measuring the angles and they start seeing the foundation of music as we know it. And so music all over the world and even types of music that aren't fundamentally known are 
all following certain patterns. Mm -hmm. And so there's frequencies such as, they're called solfeggio frequencies. And then there's things called binaural beats. I've heard of binaural beats, yeah. yeah. But the different frequencies of sound equate to your body responding in different ways. So you producing the emotion of anger is also a frequency. Right. Versus the emotion of inspiration or passion or love. And then these are all things that that can be matched to music. Hmm. So when you think about a governing elite of people controlling uh, slaves, Mm -hmm. go on a limb and just call the masses of people that, Mm -hmm. myself included, if there's a construction of you know what we're going to teach these people what we're going to entertain what we're going to use to entertain these people they don't want it to be so harmonious for us because then people start rising up and revolting which we know through history so if it's too harmonious yes if people are coming into their true powers they're not going to be satisfied sitting at home watching the bachelor every single night they're going to want more and they're going to start asking questions and saying like, Hey, why are we killing everybody? That's like, and then you, yep. You don't have answers. Right. And, and there's a, there's a big, there's a lot of people that think Prince was killed for instance, because he was tuning his, well, because he was into all this and he was turn, tuning his music to a, a vibration that was in harmony. It's a little, so the, the music, most of the music coming through the radio is off, which then mm. disrupts us. It disrupts the system. And we're kind of like, agitated. is it the radio that puts it off or is it the recording that puts it off? Is it the medium that, you know, the delivery system or the actual recording? So I don't remember the numbers, so I don't want to get too into it. Cause I don't want to misspeak, but the, it's a little bit of everything. And then the hits that we know, I don't I think you can YouTube like top hits of the last 50 years. They mm-hmm. all are the exact same tones. Hmm. So they're different songs with the exact same tones and the reason why they're top hits is because they resonate. Right. Yeah. We love them and hmm. and it's a calculated science. Hmm. So this stuff is all calculated. Wow. All the things that we're exposed to are calculated. It's funny. It's funny. And talking about this, my mom, so my, I grew I don't know, you probably don't know this, but I grew up in a family of musicians. My background is in totally in music. I didn't do any sports growing up. Well, I swam for a couple of years. I played soccer for a couple of years, but I was a trumpet player, classical trumpet player. And my mom went to the Eastman school of music. She's been in music her whole life. She still, she composes music now. She's a violinist. And, um, she shared with me recently a, uh, she was going through old stuff and she did this big research project when she was in college at Eastman, uh, on the wavelengths of sound of, of a four forty and, and mm-hmm. the a four forty is the number of the beats per minute. I don't actually know that, a, that, a that a wave that a, a the, the, the note that we call a, vibrates at and the nodes on a string that form from that at the 440 pitch. And then she did this whole 
it's a it's very much math and geometry um about wavelengths and different pitches of and i can't remember there's something that that's called and i can't remember what it's called now but um it's really interesting yeah and you know that there's there's usually eight chords right or seven and then the eighth one is the beginning eight notes in the scale in the yeah. major in the western major scale yeah right so this is and then it's just a cycle yeah. on a cycle on a cycle and there's eight showing up a lot like we have is the eighth one the start of the next one right yeah, yeah. so it goes so c really to c seven. would be c to b was seven and then mm. and then c is the eighth right yeah and then you start matching that to our chakras there's seven and then the eighth one is usually the the cycle oh that's interesting and never thought about that yeah everything starts connecting so yeah. when i say that i just like sitting in bed laying down reading it's because i've been i started studying humans i went to school for psychology and in, in college psychology and exercise science so that's the foundation of the body and mind mm-hmm. with humans that was i went to college because that was my interest not be and then i opened a gym where i'm studying the physicality of humans and then also you know from being a personal trainer you're basically a psychiatrist right. too right so that's why when, i stopped being a personal trainer i couldn't i like right i don't want to be people's babysitter so before to. crossfit i was a personal trainer yeah and it was just psychiatrist ronnie yeah and and i got into the human condition and and what it means to be human and and that's why I've been looking into all of this stuff and then mm. using it in the sport of CrossFit. Yeah. But yeah, it's all connected. It's it's crazy stuff that is almost too complicated for myself to wrap my head around because you can't look at one subject. You can't just look at music. You have to start connecting it to all the other pieces. Well, this question came about because we were I was asking you what music how somebody would figure out what's the right music for them to play for them. Is it tuned to you and is it tuned to me or is it, would so we be this, would we be playing the same music? That 440 is a solfeggio frequency. Like that's oh. 528 is the frequency for love. For instance, 440 oh. is also a harmonious frequency, which is a, like you said. Yeah. And then have you ever been to a sound healing? No. So, I mean, I go into rooms where they've got crystal bowls and they're... Oh, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. Huh. Uh, in fact, my mom was... Uh, she's very into bowls, Tibetan bowls. She has a collection of about five or six bowls. And she's like, yeah, there's a certification. I'm like, she's 83. And I think she thinks she's too old for stuff like this. I'm, she she talked about this certification. She lit up to be certified in... I don't know what it's called. Bowl singing or bowl sound healing. Sound, yeah, yeah. Singing bowls, singing it's, bowls. Yeah. And I'm like, mom, you should do it. Th- like, that sounds fantastic. Um, push her to do that. I think as people get older, their physical body is sort of, they're going to be leaving it behind soon and yeah. they have to. And so they get interested. And I think as a culture, we are only attached to the physical body. So we look at old people as worthless and useless. Yeah. Pardon me if I'm, it's not your belief. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I just say the words we because I don't like to talk about other people. So I'll say we a lot. That's another rule I made for myself. Is I don't say things like most people eat shitty. I'm, I'm always including myself in the whole. So do you, yeah. Do you refer to yourself in the third person or do you? 
Um, I think I actually have this po- already, this taping. I, I said like hockey, Ronnie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember because my, my son uh, and I watch various um, baseball players because he's a he's a uh, all-star baseball player and we watch him for swings and he's also very fast and stealing so we watched some ricky henderson uh videos and ricky henderson basically refers to ricky henderson as ricky henderson no matter what he says and he's like you know he goes up to the plate and he's okay ricky you got this ricky you you, you know he like talks to himself it's it's phenomenal like how he you know there there was one very famous one where they caught him he he struck out and and he <laughs> says it's okay ricky you're still the baddest mf in town you know something like that <laughs> and you can you, you know i don't know if he knew that it just became a thing with him you know but he's a talks about himself in third person all the time <laughs> i like that yeah Pardon the interruption, but I wanted to remind you the Andy Petronic podcast lives and breathes based on word of mouth and your reviews in iTunes. So if you love the episode, please do me a favor and do the world a favor. Send a link to your friends and also leave a review. If you get value from this and you think one of your friends might get value, they'd actually appreciate knowing about it. And the only way the podcast can grow and that I can continue to get great guests on it is by you sending links to your friends. So please do it. And if you're super motivated, please go to iTunes. Go to this link, bit.ly, bit.ly forward slash Andy Petronic podcast. It will open up the podcast in iTunes, go to ratings and reviews, and you'll be able to write your review there. And um, yeah, it's, it's really the way the podcast gets seen in the world of podcasts. So I appreciate it, and thank you very much in advance. Now let's get back to the show. Because we're, our name is associated to our body, right? So usually when you think about your mind, it can be more than your body. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I don't talk about myself in third person, but I do, however, talk about my greater self in third person. Mm-hmm. So I don't talk about Ronnie T's though I I talk about the other version of myself which I actually resonate with being more real than Ronnie. Yep. I talk about that self. Now is that the name that's coming in the mail? No. I don't So the name that's coming in the mail, yeah, it it is supposed to the purpose The name that's coming in the mail, I'm supposed to let go of Ronnie and go with mm. that. That's the agreement I made. However, I make my own rules. So I'm going to see. <laughs> that was the recommendation of whoever. Is it an organization or a person or a like? What? So I'm almost done with my Kundalini yoga teacher training, uh-huh. which is just another sect of all this other magic stuff that we're talking about. Are you familiar with Kundalini? Have you been to Kundalini yoga class? I haven't. And you know who was telling, who was talking about it was uh, Joe DiStefano. Uh, do you know Joe? That name sounds really familiar. I probably know his face. He started the um, well. He he started working with Joe DeSena, who started the Spartan races. Okay. And Joe created their training programs, and he's he's a big Spartan race. He's he's known all over the world for Mister. He's he's Joe Di around the world because he Joe De is the other Joe. That, that was the founder of Spartan. Okay. 
and uh, he does a lot of Kundalini stuff, and I hadn't really, I didn't really understand the difference. I'm like, I know power yoga because I used to work with Brian Cass back in the old days of power yoga in, in Santa Monica, and uh, I didn't work with him. I took his classes, and then I became a level two, and I was doing a lot of inversion stuff, and um, and then I worked with a woman named Mati at uh, Yoga Works, and I was doing the Ashtanga stuff practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh kundalini i mean i i'm like yeah i know yoga like i like i it is completely no from what i understand completely different and Um, this is actually how i i was doing kundalini when i first moved to california i met a pretty high level instructor she was an energy healer to celebrities like a-list celebrities mm -hmm. and kundalini is a it it takes your body and uses it as a piece of technology. So I'm not saying Kundalini is the only thing that does this. It's a version of this. So Wait, bef- you got to explain that. I'm I, going to. So I'm, before yeah, I'm thinking like an iPhone, like I don't think that's what you yeah, mean. So before iPhones existed and even on this planet right now, there are still people. So before iPhones existed, people still telecommunicated with each other. And they accessed the collective intelligence of human knowledge, which is what we now call Google mm-hmm. and text messaging and, and making a phone call like this is telecommunication. And we explain it to ourselves now as our phone is doing it. So it's okay. It's not magic, yep. but really energetically speaking, Right now we're recording this podcast and then somebody else is going to have access to our conversation. This is a version of magic if we take the technology out of it and we explain it to ourselves with technology. So if we look at this from an energetic standpoint, us beings on this planet, has, we've, we're able to accept this. So this is how mm-hmm. we're accepting our ascended nature because 200 years ago, we weren't able to do this, but now we're ready as a species to accept that we can communicate and we can access the whole of human knowledge through Wikipedia and Google. Mm-hmm. I can learn stuff live as a scientist is doing an experiment through YouTube. And, and this is the, t- the we're explaining it with the mechanical technology. So before any of this existed, we go back let's say before the ice age, let's, let's say Atlantis Lumeria times, which I fully believe. And it's beyond belief for me. It's, it's an accepted, it's an accepted story. It is my reality, which makes it real. There's nobody can tell me it's not my reality. Like it is my reality that Atlantis and Lumiere. you, you go back to these times. They, they also had technology. It was different, but they also could telecommunicate. And they also used their body as technology. And Kundalini taps into that. It's how to, it teaches people how to use their body as a piece of technology. So we can create angles in our joints. We can create sound and rhythms with our voice. We can control our breath, which is the, the bridge between our conscious and non-conscious and then if we look at what our non-conscious being is capable of you start looking into dreams start saying like what is a dream and do we have access to that power and that sort of collective intelligence in the waking conscious life 
kundalini yoga starts getting into that stuff, moving your body in certain angles, breathing certain ways to produce rhythms and vibrations and power to turn your body into an iPhone, essentially. And this is how I got Mean Streets. I was doing kundalini yoga when I went from a personal trainer to owning a gym. And yeah, CrossFit, a lot of other people did it with CrossFit and so did I. Mm -hmm. However, my story that I'm accepting is that because of kundalini yoga, because of doing these drills, I was able to manifest a gym. So kundalini yoga isn't a physical based yoga. The physical kundalini yoga is the way they describe it is kind of like the mother of all yogas. We use chanting, we use body positions, we use all the things and also physical postures. Hmm. Ashtanga is very physical based, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Power yoga and Ashtanga. And it's, I mean, it's no wonder to me that I fell into those because I was adventure racing. I was, you know, doing these long distance to me, I was only going to really pay attention if it was hard. Like things had to be hard. I wouldn't have paid attention if you'd put me in a Kundalini class. Like there's no way. Have you heard the premise that physical yoga, like the asanas, the whole purpose of those is just to meditate better? Yes. Okay. So you're familiar. That's not the approach I took. Right. I was doing it to be, get longer hamstrings so I could touch my toes you know, yeah, that was <laughs> so I could hand balance maybe at some point. So um, true yoga, which I'm not suggesting Kundalini yoga is. Kundalini is a whitewashed version of true yoga for America. Kundalini was brought here by Yogi Bhajan from the East, and he made an Americanized version of what real yoga is, and it's called Kundalini yoga, which is it's it's going to be good enough for most. It is proper for most people in America because we weren't raised in an, in a family in the East where they're talking about this stuff. We kind of have to... This is from India or... I'm just saying the East because Yogi okay. Bhajan studied a bunch of stuff. Okay. And, then he, and this was back... So he probably like 30s, 40s, where like he has to like go to a master's house and then like they're like, what are you here for? And he says like, I want to learn something from you. And then they say, wait here. And they leave him outside on their porch for three days before they teach him one thing. Like this is how he acquired all of his knowledge because this is all secret teachings. And then he came here and just spread it to everyone. He wasn't technically supposed to but it's what he did Mm. and so these secret teachings have been held secret by like priest class throughout all of history because it's magic (laughs) i keep keep on using this word just because people know what it means but magic becomes not magic when you're actually using it is it you know there's one thing you know magic i've seen magic my son does magic he does card tricks oh yeah um, That's some legit stuff there. Yeah, he does some really cool card tricks. Some things that have literally blown me. He got this magic set with DVDs from my sister for uh, Christmas. And Chris Angel, I think, is the set. And uh, he... <laughs> I mean, you know, I thought it was just a kid's magic set. It is just a kid's magic set. But mm-hmm. he learned some stuff with card tricks that I swear to... I have no idea how he did what he did. And um, But anyway, I mean... But I... I hear what you're saying, you know, 
magic that are that are just card tricks don't feel well they do they feel powerful i was going to say they don't feel powerful but they are power like they affect me i mean i'm not going to forget the card tricks that my son did when he was 10 years old for i don't even i don't know if i'll ever forget that mm-hmm. like that's, that's a powerful that's a powerful memory there are a lot of other things that have gone on in my life with him that you know some lego set that he built or you know something else that i don't remember at all but it's it's the power of that there is some serious power with that i don't even really know what i'm talking about right now like i like you keep using the word magic and i'm relating what it is to me but uh i'm intrigued by i'm intrigued by this do you do you have anything in your life that goes against this statement that that you are not as powerful as that because from what i know from you you spent your entire life working out and you got a house and a family and and like that is its own version of power slash magic right and and that's the key is that we are all this it's just no one told us that yeah no i i definitely have a story running that i don't and i'm not there definitely that's definitely been something I've worked on. Uh, I'm reminded of the Marianne Williamson quote where she's the greatest fear is not that we are um, weak and there are greatest fears that we're powerful beyond measure. Yeah. Yeah. You know that one. Um, so Kundalini yoga. Yeah. There's a good studio in Venice. Okay. And then I, I think I go- I'll be going. I go to Yoga West um, tonight at 8 p.m. Wait, Yoga you West? Go. It's what? in Robertson and... Is it a little tiny place Pico. upstairs? No, I don't know where you might be thinking. It's on Robertson and Pico, Yoga West. No, I'm thinking of a place my wife used to go to. Um, it's not on Robertson. It's on... Uh, it's further east. It's more closer in town. It's like so the place in Venice is called Ra Ma. Huh. <laughs> there we're, we're right back to where we yeah, started. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, what's Ma? It's another tone. So Ra is also a tone. Wait, I, we never ra. got. How do I discover this music that's good for me? What? What? We? I've, I've completely forgot the A four, the four forty, and the five forty eight. Solfeggio frequencies. Solfeggio. S O L. F-E-G-G-I-O frequencies. And then also binaural beats is another thing. And this is all, if you if you Google it, you're going to find like half people saying it's BS. Yeah. And, and the truth is, if you don't think it's going to work, it's not going to work. Yeah, right. So, right. so <laughs> it's up to you if you want to believe it or not. But you should also go to a sound healing maybe hmm. are you meditating mm-hmm. okay so so i i'm trying an, an interesting experiment i've i i've always had a very difficult time so i for years i studied zen buddhism mm-hmm. at the at the santa monica there was a little zendo called the santa monica zen center um back in the early 2000s um a friend of mine brought me in i started working with the sensei who became one of my students at the gym and uh he and i are still good friends today the center is no longer there but i had this pretty 
solid practice of meditation. I would go three days a week for an hour each time about, and it was ceremonial. There was bowing, there was drums and we would do chanting and, but I never, I hadn't, or still really until very recently, I hadn't really ever been able to replicate that sort of consistent practice on my own without the community, without basically being told I had to, you know, I know it was a choice, yeah. but, uh, you know, when there's nobody else around and I'm in my living room and there's 18 other things calling at me to do them, I, I've never been really able to harness the, 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 the know-how of the, the knowingness that that is the thing I'm going to do. Like I'm choosing that. And, um, last month at, uh, paleo FX, I was at a, there's a, there's a headband device. It's a neurofeedback device called the muse band headband. And it, it costs a couple hundred bucks. You wear it around your head and your ears. And it basically tells you that you're calm. You know, it gives you feedback. Right. And I just saw it immediately as, okay, this is something that my simple minded brain that is not allowing me to consider doing this on a consistent basis. Maybe this is something that will really help me establish a um, consistent practice around doing this so that I'm not just doing it once a week or once every two days or once every, uh, sorry, once every two weeks. And, um, it's been really interesting. I've been doing it now for about a month and I'm right now in a streak of 12 days in a row. And, uh, I don't think the headband is magic, you know, like it's not like that thing has the power, but it's given me something that my, I'm ready to glum onto to keep me consistent meditating. It's, it's showing your logical brain the proof. Right. Right. And it's given me something to practice like that. I can, it's kind of like you said, this is, that's my acceptable version of magic. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I'm willing to accept as, um, uh, my, my brain will accept that as proof that this is working and this is what, this is worth doing as opposed to just the practice of doing nothing, you know, that, that isn't for some reason not, doesn't register for me as worthy of doing. Cause that's the Buddhist thing, right? It's yes. just blank mind. It's not really blank mind. No, the Zen practice is more like the, um, uh, more, more like the warrior practice of being on the cushion. You're really at war. You're really doing battle with the, the space, but you're trying to create the space between your mind that's constantly moving and you're, so you're, con- you're doing battle with your mind because your mind wants to go wander in many different directions and you're, you're battling with it to not allow it to do that, to pull it back to right here, right now, to my breath, to my, to, you know, whatever you're experiencing in that moment. So it's really a very, it's not peace, love and harmony in the Zen tradition. It's more like what a, um, Samurai would practice a warrior would practice. Okay. Yeah. I think it's great that science 
is proving a lot of this stuff is working. It doesn't mean that it wasn't working before science came of, out. Of course not. That's, right. what, that's what's silly to me about <laughs> it. Right. It's the same thing I've been doing, but for some reason, I, you know, like it's helping me establish the habit, which is really, for me, important because I've never really been able to do that before. And then we also have to accept that there's different levels of reality. Like we're kind of taught in school that there's one way, right? There's one answer. And that, and I think when we start getting into these, these zones of meditation and, and, and life, we have to accept that sort of, I guess the easy way to explain it is sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. In your financial life, for instance, maybe this stuff doesn't make any difference. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe and but there's other versions of your life that it it can help I just I don't want to say that reality isn't just this right like what we know as physical reality seems to be the only thing that science looks at mm-hmm. because our mechanics the machine of science is based in a physical reality yeah right but what happens when we close our eyes this is no longer physical reality and so, yes, we can still measure things with our physical instruments through vibrations, but there's a whole other reality, I guess. There's there's more reality than what we have access to measure. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to to really make our own decisions and, and to trust them and to not think that everything needs to be verified by Google in order for it to be real. Right. I think our big thinkers, you know, um, Stephen Hawking's and the Albert Einstein's of the world have been right there. Like I, I think because reality becomes so big of a concept that to be able to offer physical proof, you know, like my muse headband, you know, mm-hmm. it, it just, it's not possible. those guys were geniuses because they 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 did offer proof in the in the form of stories and so they did this similar thing so that the public would accept their big ideas they had these big ideas and then einstein had to be like okay imagine you're on a train now i have to prove it yeah and he would tell a story and you tell people like imagine you're watching this imagine you're traveling the speed of light and you turn on a flashlight what happens like he had to he had to he had to convince people and mm-hmm. sometimes we have to convince ourselves mm-hmm. and it's up to everyone to, and some people need science and some people re- repel science. And well, I think that's why it's important to know your own process, right? You know, like somebody else doesn't need that damn muse headband. They, they just do it. It's yeah. like, of course. And it's okay it. that you do. And right. I think it's cool. And I think I've seen you on your Instagram messing around with brain stuff for a few years now, right? I did. Um, I worked at a place called the pre peak brain Institute. Um, and I it did a podcast with it actually, cause I was curious about what it is, what neuro, um, I was going to say neuro linguistic programming, but that's something totally different. Um, NLP. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I can't remember. It's, it's, it's basically neural feedback. Um, and as it turned out, you know, there was, evidence that I had been dropped on my head as a baby and my mom was there to confirm that yes, I had been dropped on my head as a baby. <laughs> or there was a, there was concussion evidence. And and wow. I mean that could have come from a lot of things also, but my mom chimed in while we were in the 
podcast. It was fantastic. The, um, oh yeah. I remember dropping you down the stairs and your head swelled up. We had to take you to the hospital and I'm like, what? <laughs> you never told me this. Um, but I went through a program, uh, of that brain training, which I didn't get a great, there was nothing earth shattering happened as a result. I didn't do a follow up podcast partly because I got, I got freaked out at one point I got sick and I woke up one morning when I was sick. It was like a two day flu and I woke up one morning and the entire room just went whoosh, like spinning. I couldn't even sit up out of bed and I, it only lasted for about 10 seconds and then it went away. But after that moment, I would have these really very um, weird, foggy, slight, slightly dizzy moments. And again, this is my logical brain. Probably wasn't sickness. It was probably some of that wacky brain training you're doing. You know, you probably, I, I basically convinced myself that that was it. It, it might've been, mm-hmm. might not have been. I, I mean, I talked to Dr. Hill about it and, um, he had never heard of anything like that happening before. And this was a very, you know, it, it did come on very suddenly and that does happen to people. You know, you can get an ear disease where it affects your inner ear. Fortunately that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, it's, inter- it, it's interesting. That's why I didn't do, I probably, yeah, I, I, I blew it with that, but uh, yeah, I think that there's a fine line also. It, what was the purpose of the, the machine? Was it to enhance it's a, something? Yeah, it's a, it, it's to treat trauma, brain trauma. Like they use it a lot. The, 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 the Dr. Hill works with a lot of kids with autism. He works a lot with people who have post-traumatic stress syndrome and it changes the doing the training. So you go in and you get your brain mapped and then you do this training that looks like video games. Um, but your brain is controlling what's happening on the screen without you really being conscious of it. That was another really interesting thing for me is I couldn't make it do what I wanted it to do. Like one, one thing you did a lot was these car races and your car would be going around these courses. And when your brain was operating well, it would be making the turns and not crashing into other cars and doing, and when your brain wasn't doing so well, it you know, it would veer off and drive into a lake or it would hit a tree or whatever. And you couldn't consciously change that. Like you'd have to sit and watch, which was bizarre for me. Like what, <laughs> what's happening? So this is crazy stuff. That's, I mean, I think that the spinning room and, and that probably definitely was a result of, of this sort of training. Hmm. So I've been dating girls and it seems like every, every girl is a version of psychic kind of, Hmm. and I can tell you stories, but they're, they're legit real. Like no, like they know things. Hmm. Uh, and you've been, Picking these girls on purpose because of their profiles that show them to be psychic, or if no, they just uh, I actually don't approach women. They uh, maybe one every ten years I approach, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but 
it's just the circles I run in and yeah. who ends up being attracted to me yeah. are, are these types. And, you know, there's a, there's a thin line between being like psychic and psychotic or like schizophrenia and mm -hmm. knowing things beyond like what we should know. Right. Yep. And I think as you start turning on and accessing parts of your brain that you didn't have before, some weird stuff starts happening. Hmm. Some, some crazy stuff starts happening. Uh, I've got a girl who destroys electronics. They fry. They like, if she has a phone, it works for six months. Her computers, she needs to take back every couple months. Her, if she hmm. wears crystals, they crack and break on her. Really? She's resonating at such a rate that like things in this physical reality can't handle it's so weird. I used to make fun of Kenny Kane who bought the gym for me because basically electronics just stop working around him. They, they don't die. I don't think they, you know, it's not like he breaks phones, but he, he's one of those people who you can 300 people have used this in the past up until now. And then Kenny gets it and it, it just doesn't work. Whatever happens, happens. Which and, is our standing joke. It's yeah. Funny. I mean, this is, we reality is not solid. It's, it's a little bit malleable and there's components in us. We go back to our body as a piece of technology that could shift actual states of reality. Hmm. But what made brain, you say so strongly that you think that that was perhaps a cause of the brain training? Was, was there something that I said or an experience you've had that well, because the way you were describing the the mechanisms of which they are training you seem very much in line with how, like you you were saying, it wasn't conscious. It was, yeah. it was sort of just like happening. And then, are you able to manipulate that a little bit? The feedback was auditory, so. And it would be monitoring Which is vibration brain waves. Yeah. So yeah, it was, so it was auditory feedback and brain waves and, but you can, you have the power to adjust a little bit. Well, theoretically, but I was never able to see any shifts happening. Like I can, I'm able to, with a muse headband, I can sense when I make a change what happens in the headband is birds start to chirp. Like the, the storm dies down and birds start to chirp. I can actually cause that. I can actually feel myself doing something where I'm calming my mind and I'm focusing more on my breath and I'm getting more in that place with, with the brain training I was doing. I, I could never figure out. And he's like, don't worry about it. You can't figure it out. Your brain is it's before the conscious thought kicks in before that whole motor pattern happens, occurs. Yeah, that's all, that's all, again, I'm not an expert, but I believe that guy. And if you, if you are making changes like that, you know, things are going to happen. For a lot of people, yep. the things like having a dream where they die, like a rebirthing sort of thing will happen when they're messing around with this, these stages of ourself. And so you experiencing 
sort of nausea, that was probably just the beginning. You probably, if you were to kept on going, would have been able to more strongly link what was happening to you to this, but you kind of like stopped, right? Yep. yep. So abruptly stopped. I mean, I, I told him about it. I went in to see him and I told him about it. And I said, look, I just want to take a break and you know, we, we can pick this up. And then the, the, these little dizzy spells really went on for well, heck I've really only noticed them going away in the last like two months, three months. So they went on for about a year and they're little, they were little, not like not, nothing like that first one. I have had a couple instances for like a half a second. It feels like that's about to start. And then that goes away. But these little brain fog, slightly dizzy for six hours, eight hours, like long periods would. And, and the funny thing is I would test it. I would say, am I really dizzy? Can I do a handstand? So I would test myself. I would, can I go up, get on my slack line? Can I, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really remembered experiencing it with the unicycle. So maybe it's been gone now for like four or five months. But, um, I remember wanting to test it. Was it really a balance thing? And it, it never occurred to me as a real balance thing. Cause I could always, it didn't affect my workouts. It didn't affect, I could do somersaults. I could do, you know, cartwheels and, you know, so I didn't, I don't know if it ever was an inner ear issue. I think I'd be, I think I'm agreeing with you that it had something to do with that. And yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that his stuff was working or not working because we're talking about, it's a, affecting something. a human inventing a machine that then is going to be affecting your body. Yeah. And really the question is like, should a human be inventing? Like, should you be plugging yourself into a machine that's potentially changing things? Right. Yeah. Which is I why mean, he stopped. He's had, he's had great impact on, on some of the issues that I mentioned. I didn't have any, I don't have any of those issues. So, you know, should I really be messing with it? That was really the question I had in the moment it was like, what the heck am I doing? Which brings um, us to unicycling, right? Because this is just learning the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that it's powerful that like a unicycle is a good tool to take somebody in any stage of their life. You can be 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. And most likely a unicycle is something you've never been on. And now right. you're putting yourself in an environment that has its own risks and rewards, but it's, it's, it's like riding the bike as an adult, like learning to ride a bike as an adult. Mm-hmm. And we don't like the reason why kids are, are, are the way they are is because, you know, they're in a constantly new environment all right. the time. It's right. like they're, it's how we are when we go on vacation and everything's different and new. That's, that's a kid's every single day right they're doing something they've never done before and i get that when i'm on a unicycle totally totally it's one of the reasons i do it like i i mean that feeling that challenge of trying something for the first time over and over and over again i mean just today getting on that 20 inch 19 inch unicycle is completely different than a 26 inch unicycle and, and then getting on the 36-inch unicycle is like another completely different experience. And uh, I don't 
know what's happening in my brain, but I can imagine that there are all kinds of parts of my brain that are lighting up and doing things that have been dormant for God knows how long, because it's a, it's a completely different environment. It's, it's not like, it's not close to anything I've ever done before. It's not close to riding a bike really for me. Maybe it's not. It's just the experience of learning something new is what I was saying. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I, all that stuff is happening in my brain and I, and it translates as I'm happy. It just instant smile on my face. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Totally. It's crazy because the only time it doesn't is when I, you know, like I can't get up on my free, my, 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 Mm -hmm. what's called free mounting. I can't free mount and I'm going over and over and over again. I'm like, God dang it. What's why today? Why am I not able to get up? But once I'm up, it's just joy. It just joy. Just it's like pulsing out of my fingertips. Right. It's like almost how you would feel if you're flying. (laughs) It's yeah. Uh, and I think it has to do with what you were just describing with the brain. All this stuff is happening. Connections are being made in a new way. And it's it's almost shifting. It's shifting your reality. Yeah. And I, which is bringing it back to CrossFit, that's, that, that's why CrossFit is loved by so many people. Because you're taking somebody and you're making them able to do everything. Right. And that's how I came across the unicycle too, because it's just the evolved version of everything else that I previously was able to do. <sighs> All right. Tell me about um, water. So we've, we've touched on vibration a little bit, but water is not just, it's when we look at water, it's, it's just kind of water to us, right? And there's a major difference in the, f- the state of water when it's coming from a spring versus coming from the plant, the, the water processing plant, and then coming through pipes to come to your house. Mm-hmm. And when, when our, when we look at the water within our body, I don't remember the exact numbers. I think what they say is like 75 to 80, 80, 85% of our body is water. But really when you look at what everything else is made of, most of our body is water, like even higher than that, like 99% when we start looking at what everything else is also made of. I'm not saying that right. Well, the interesting thing about when you get down to those molecular, yeah, con- the molecular conversation, we're actually mostly not anything. And then, then there's that. <laughs> I mean, I can't even really wrap my head around that but, idea because right. water is made up of eight, two hydrogens and a, right. Wait, so then when we H2, look at, yeah. Oh yeah. Two hydrogens and an oxygen. And those are mostly space, right? So it's a shape actually. It's an energetic shape. So elements are vibrations that are vibrating three-dimensionally. So the thing we're taught in school where there's a nucleus and the electrons spinning around it, they're not just randomly spinning around it. If you 
if you look at them and and they have they actually turn into similar shapes in cymatics when you vibrate the water hmm. so elements all have their own shape and then that shape fits into our body with all the other shapes hmm. and we want the water in harmony with the rest of our body so Man, there's so much things I can be if if I don't talk about it, I want people to make sure they look up the fourth phase of water. Okay. Because that's a that's that's something that probably a YouTube video or the TED talk on it can the fourth ex- phase of water explain better than I can. Okay. Yeah. Which talks about water as we know H two O as we look at it underneath a microscope. When it goes into our body, it restructures and rearranges itself differently within our body, within ourselves. Within our cells. We are ourselves, our cells also, but in our cells, the water changes and it arranges itself in a way that the sort of the exterior of the cell is negatively charged and the interior is positively charged. That's the easiest way to explain it. And then that turns our cells into a battery. When you have a positive and negative charge, now you're mm-hmm. a battery. Mm-hmm. And then that explains a whole bunch of things like why why we have all the power we do is it's not just from food and how this battery gets charged is is through the radiant energy of the sun mm. and so now we're looking at water as not just hydration and this also explains how our blood pumps through all of our blood vessels it 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 actually is naturally through this these positive and negatively charged the red blood cells move independently like without the beating of our heart so we think that when our heart beats that one little beat that it pushes every single red blood cell through every single artery in our body but if you think about that 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 needs to be an extremely hard pump <laughs> yeah like it's impossible. So there's some help and it right. comes down to this fourth phase of water. There's a, an easy zone is what they call it. It's this negative. It's so it's the interaction between the negative and positive. And then we get into like, kind of like the way two magnets will push away from each other. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, if you line up the negative poles, right. Or the power of the positive so that's poles happening all over your body and it gets actually stronger with sun. So, so if you get in the sun, it right. Imp- increases the power of the Correct. Huh. It's and it's not the visible spectrum of the sun either. Yeah. It's it's another version of the radiation. So that's one thing that's happening. And I, I went into it a little bit, but that's something that I think a lot of I think anyone interested in athletics should know. Because we're talking about body processes and how they work. And it's a 25 minute Ted talk, I believe. And I have the guy's book also. So how do you know? Um, I mean, these are more practical things around water. Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie's looking at, so we, we went out unicycling this morning and, uh, he took a little dinger on his, the pedals are pedals on unicycles are incredibly sharp. Yeah. At I least the ones they come down with. and grab my leg and my hand was full of blood. Yeah. <laughs> The funny thing is I fell off the unicycle about 18 times more than Ronnie did. Ronnie didn't fall off the unicycle. Um, the pedal I did, just got me. But the pedal, pedal ripped up his shin. Um, 
on a practical term on a practical note you know quantity quality ph purity ro system ro water like how do you make heads or tails of all of that so i'm going to tell you a story there's this company called fountain of truth or i think it's live spring water but they were selling water that was untreated and in california that's illegal so even though these, these bottles of water that we have now are treated so it says treated, treated by what so maybe they had to put ultraviolet light on it uh-huh. or maybe they put a chemical in it and then took it out i doubt that was the case but but it says it's spring water from two miles deep Beneath a volcano, I think, is where it comes. Geothermal. Right, right. So in order to sell water in California, all the water needs to be treated. So any of the spring water in the stores have all been treated because it's the law in California. So there is a company that was selling raw water, which is basically straight from the spring to the glass container to, to your house. Kind of like having raw milk. Exactly, which yeah. you know, I mean, you were around when when Rossum got raided yep, and yep totally and now you have to get and they it pulled it off pulled it off all out of the out yeah. of the co-op and yep so now they're doing similar thing with water so mm. this company agents went a couple weeks ago to their plant which company LiveSpringWater.com. I th- oh, it's, okay. it's fountain of truth is their the name of the company agents raided their i wouldn't say the word raided that's a strong word but okay but visited them yeah and then said you guys can't sell this water anymore because in the state there's a law that you like you guys aren't treating the water so that's Mm -hmm. why i don't have any with me now and we're drinking out of this stuff so So this is a water that you have been drinking for yeah and and they are they deliver but their deliveries on friday so i'm getting more so what they had to do was rearrange what they call water because in order for them to sell water in california it needs to be treated so now they have to sell this quote water as a supplement so now <laughs> we live in a state where are they still calling it water or do they call it I something mean, else is it a liquid beverage liquid, i don't liquid sub liquid supplement i don't that's I don't, clear i don't remember what what's going on with that but they said I I just read the the release the the email they sent saying that they now have to be classified as like a supplement company. Wow. As opposed to a water company in order to be able to sell this water without doing stuff to it. So yeah. even just shining light on it is going to change the structure of yeah. the molecules. And when that's going into your body, it's it's a it's having an effect. Mhm. Have you have you been a like somewhere where you drink out of a spring? Yeah. Mount Shasta or yep. you feel much differently. Even the water in your mouth. British Columbia. Right. Yeah. Uh, we you know, we climb around Mount Rainier and we'd melt water, melt uh, melt snow for water. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah totally different. Yeah, like a friend just she gave me a bottle two days ago and I was like, Wow, it's been a while since it it t- it's like not water. It to me, it doesn't taste like the water. Like here, this this has like a you you drink it, and my mouth still feels dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. And so when it's going in your body, it, it's having the exact same effect. 
But when you drink out of a spring, it goes in your mouth and you almost feel it going into the pores of your mouth because that is what's happening. When it goes into your body, it's going into the cells. Yeah. And that all has to do with the structure. I think most of it has to do with the structure, how the water gets received by your body. So I've I've bought, I spent $4,500 on that Kangen water machine. Oh yeah, the structured water. Yeah, I was going to ask you A about that. A long time ago I did uh-huh. and it didn't end up working for me mostly because I think it was, it was tap water. It started off dead and then we're supposed to like rearrange it. Yeah. It was giving me diarrhea actually. Hmm. So I stopped using that. Well, it's interesting that it actually did something. Cause I've been, I mean, I've, I've looked at those and I've had presentations done with those before and I'm like, how would I know it's even doing something, you know, like, so it obviously did something. So it did have a good effect it, when when you were drinking it, but then I think after a while, either the machine started malfunctioning or whatever. Yep. So I quit using it. Then I had, there's this guy at my gym who had structured my water, and all it was was spiraling the water, which a lot of people think is bullshit. Like centrifugal? Yeah. And you could tell a difference. So I would have him do that with my spring water, and when the, I would immediately feel the difference. Wow. And so now I'm getting this this raw water and that's what I'm drinking now. But all of this stuff is, is also back to athletic performance. The, the water I drank, like in most competitions, I would bring with me on the floor, a glass bottle of water that I would be drinking, like spring water that I'd be drinking because I knew, like I said, I was looking for efficiencies that if I can get water and blood to my muscles in a more efficient way, then I will perform better. And that's one of the tools that I did. Do you believe that if you, you know, like I've been for the last couple months, I've been using this uh, reverse osmosis filter. Um, it's called the true aqua or aqua true. I think, um, it's the best water I've had that's come from the tap because I used to use a Brita filter and used to use the filter in my refrigerator because I drank so much water. I could never get my head around wanting to deal with the glass bottles or the delivery of you know, five of these jugs at a time or, you know, I just, for me, it, it was never, I never got that it was important enough to do that. So I, I haven't, um, do you, well, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not the biggest fan of turning tap water into anything. Right. And then, so reverse osmosis is a, is a good, uh, it's a good way to, extract the water from all the chemicals right but then but then what you're still left with the water the way it was right going into the tap it was been through the pipes it's been through it's not straight out of the ground yeah Yeah. i mean and who knows what's going on is it treated sewer water like is it treated are they recycling water uh how long was it sitting in the aquifer right uh it's it's just, it's dead to me. Yep. And also I'm really big on the things that go into my body. I think, I think you can actually make a lot of headway by, I guess, blessing the water would be the, the term that most people would see this as, but, but bringing the water within harmony of your energetic field Hmm. with your hands um, I don't know if you've messed around with Tai Chi or Qigong. 
No, but I've, that's another one of those things that I've wanted to do for a long time. Like I've, um, push hand. I, I read Josh Waitskin's book. He's the chess prodigy that, that the uh, searching for Bobby Fisher was based on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he used, he's a grand master or a nat- world champion in push hands. And, uh, yeah, my, I, you know, my challenge right now is my son is 11 I coach baseball and I used to coach soccer and that really, that's like a part-time full-time job that I love and I can't add any practice. That's why the unicycle is so good for me. Cause I can literally walk out my door and be on it. I don't have to go to a studio. I don't have to fight traffic. I don't have to, you know, like I found things. I don't have to set up a slack line. It's even better than a slack line for me. Cause I don't have to, there's no setup time very very efficient and um so anyway so it's yes i've wanted to do qigong and tai chi so i haven't really so i haven't really done either of those <laughs> but what i do people have told me like hey are you doing qigong but i've taken people that are have never done them and showed them the energy within their hands and all i all you really do is if you hold your hands apart like eight inches with your fingers slightly cur- like Should you're I holding do this? a ball. Should yeah. I, okay. I stand up. So if you're if you pretend like you're sort of holding a ball and remember, so what we're trying to do is feel the energy in, in your hands. So just be relaxed. And then because you're trying to feel the energy, just slightly move your hands apart and just sort of like see if you can feel the difference between the the air in between your hands and the air that's not in between your hands. And I would say most people, maybe because you're connected to electricity, I don't know how that's affecting you, but do you feel anything? You can. Okay. So I don't know. There's part of me that wants to say I'm making it up because I know I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. But there's another part of me saying you actually, I'm actually feeling something different. So, so I, don't, I don't know what's truth, but that's right. what's going on in my head. From a scientific perspective, you could just say this is your magnetic field, your electromagnetic field. But let's just say that it is. That's your field. That's you. That's not not you. That That is you literally affecting, you're creating a field with your hands. Yeah. So you can take that and put it over your food and water. And it's sort of teaching your water what it's like to be you. Well, isn't there a, uh, I don't know if it's famous or not, but there's an experimenter that used to put words on. Yeah, Omoto, Dr. Omoto. Dr. Omoto, he'd tape like love or peace or, you know, or then anger or pain or whatever. And he would analyze the crystals, right? Yeah, they analyze the structure of the water and it would change. But they're even going one step further than that. They're, I mean, a lot of steps. They're having people focus on strands of DNA. So they're putting beakers with strands of DNA in it. And they're saying, like, think loving thoughts about this beaker. Think hateful thoughts about this beaker. And they're actually seeing the strands of DNA unwind for negative thoughts and and sort of get tighter for positive thoughts. Yeah. Is it... what you're just feeling inside your hands is sort of step one of realizing that we're 
there's a lot more happening around us that we're conscious that we actually have conscious control of. Like we have conscious control of, of reality, of just reality period, whatever that means to anyone. Like you like, so we have control of each other too. So if, if you're around somebody who is constantly nagging you, that person's affecting your DNA. Right. I mean, they're affecting your emotions. You know that. Yeah. And then your emotions affect your DNA. But also on top of that, their energetic field that you just felt in between your hands, that extends much beyond your hands. Like we're, we're within our, each other's radius right now. Mm-hmm. And, and our, our heart and our brain. So we used to think that our brain was the, the only thing thinking, but our heart is actually thinking a lot too. And then there's a, when they get in line with each other, then our aura, Mm -hmm. so to speak, is very, very powerful. This is why when you're walking alone in the woods, you feel so vulnerable. And this is something I'm making up to make a point. You're so vulnerable when you're walking alone. You add a friend and it's like you're invincible. Right. Even though right. you're not any more invincible because there's another person. Right. It's because you're linking up and you're feeling their field, interacting with your field, and that feels good. Hmm. So anything that's happening outside your guys' bubble is almost, it's not penetrating you. Yeah. Or before, ever, like all the other energies penetrating you, but you get two hearts connected and in line with safety or in line with just being together. Uh, it just feels good. Hmm. It gives the illusion of safety. That's really interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting phenomenon. You you might even be able to experience that. Why not? Walking down your walking, taking a walk around the block. Hmm. I mean, there's a difference between walking with your dog or walking with your spouse and walking by yourself. Right. I mean, if you, especially, I mean, I think it's more pronounced if it's at night, you know, like, would you go for a walk at night by yourself? Do you feel differently? I mean, a lot of things will do that. Your phone will do that. You can go along. If I'm listening to a podcast, I'm in my own universe. I, I don't even stop to consider safety, you know, like <laughs> hmm. it's, but I know that's different than what we're talking about, yeah. but it's still, the, it's a similar experience of you're at ease. You're at ease. Right. And, yeah, we started talking about water. But so do you salt your water? You put salt I have before. like Himalayan or Yeah. Celtic. Celtic I like. Himalayan's okay. It's everywhere. Yeah. But really finding sea salt seems to be cuz Himalayan's sort of like from the mountains and mixed yeah. with sand, which is okay. But Essentially, we are a mixture of... So even water is made of hydrogen and oxygen. And if you look at those two elements, like hydrogen is sort of represented by the sun, right? And then oxygen, my my viewpoint on what oxygen is, is, is pretty crazy. Like the shape, the elemental shape that I accept oxygen is, is a cube. And when we go back to the harmony of ourselves, and if we look at like you said, everything is nothing. It's just energy kind of. It's, it's, 
everything is is essentially nothing at one level. Like at one level, even I think Buddhism might get into this, that everything is just the same stuff, which mm-hmm. means there's no difference. There's just a oneness of everything, right? Yes. So that if we come a little bit down from that, what we ha- we do have differences. That's why this is a water bottle and this is a table and you are you. There are differences. And what I'm accepting the differences to be is the different shapes of that energy okay. that makes up the differences. And we call those elements like oxygen, hydrogen. But we're a mixture of stuff from the earth, like the minerals, light. So earth, light, air, and water. And even water is made up of, like, essentially air and fire, which is the light. Mm-hmm. And and what oxygen is, like in the East they call it prana. I mean, they don't exactly call oxygen prana, but breath is prana, and yep. they refer to prana, like the translation to that is life force. And I'm thinking that oxygen is this cubal, like this cuboid structure. And, and when you look at a cube, a lot of things fit into a cube. A lot of other shapes fit into a cube. And a cube also fits into a lot of other, uh, a lot of other shapes. And oxygen is the third most abundant element in the universe. Mm-hmm. So when we really look at like what breath is and what oxygen is, it's pretty important. And it's not just to keep our muscles like alive. Yeah. Oxygen, there's something beyond what we're accepting the science of it. There's something beyond that. And it's in our water and it's in our breath. And I'm viewing oxygen as as like a like when we talk about the music, like it's going in and it's, and it's keeping harmony. So man, I don't know where I'm going with this, (laughs) but I started talking about water and I'm trying to mix air into this. Yeah. And then I was going to say that the light sort of structures and keeps everything organized. I asked you the question about salt. So I don't know if that jogs your memory, if that had anything to do with what you were saying. I was talking about the sea yeah, I was just going to get into what our body's made up of, yeah. which is earth, air, water, and light, and that it's important to connect with all of those. Yeah. But regarding the salt, yeah, it's it's adding minerals to yeah. our water, which is just more earth. Which I do because I'm using an RO water source that is oh, I was going to ask you about ultra that. ultra clean. So yeah. I add, I put in um, either Himalayan or Celtic sea salt. I put a pinch in or I, I made recently, I made a slurry, like a super concentrated, um, thing. So I could use a eyedropper and just drop it in. It's quicker and easier than the, than the salt crystals. But yeah, I do that. And, and then I add a little bit of vinegar sometimes just cause I get tired of, I put, bu- I bubble it cause I like the bubbly stuff. The, the, I have a carbonated. So yeah, I put, yeah, it, yeah. I put do the soda stream and, uh, and then I put a little bit of, uh, a lot of times I'll put a little bit of vinegar in. I'm going to get a little weird based on that. Because we know. You're going to get a little weird? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Dude, we've been talking for an hour and 45 minutes. You're already fucking weird. <laughs> we're, we're way past weird. <laughs> oh, man. It would be awesome if I could have that sound clip. 
You mean of you saying that or my no, reaction? <laughs> I'll send it to you. <laughs> uh, so when we we inherently know that our water we need minerals in it, right? Because of what I was just saying, we're we're eating plants because they also have minerals in it, right? But uh, it's for me, it's not just that. When when I'm like when we're eating a plant, we're not we're eating life. Right. So we're not just eating it for nutrition. And I think in, in sports nutrition, we're just focused on the nutrition part of it. Yeah. yeah. But we're we're eating a life form. We're eating consciousness like the plant is conscious. There's well, a, we're, eating, we're eating sun, too. Exactly. Because I mean, the energy comes which from is the grand consciousness. Right. That is what I believe most religions call God. Like this is why like the light is is the. That's the grand. That's like the highest level. That's that's level eight. That's that's uh that is everything. But yeah, you're right. So the the plants capture the light. That's why they're green. And then we eat the light. And that light goes into our body and it makes everything work. So when you really think about like what life is and what life force is from a scientific perspective or talking to someone who's scientifically minded, they're just, it's like, no, it's just a combination of all the molecules. And in theory, if that was true, we could just make life in a lab. Yep. Which we actually can do only with light. So you can shine light into sterilized beakers. The Russian scientists have been doing crazy stuff with light where they shine light and life sort of spontaneously comes to be, uh, but it's always with light. You mean from like purified water? Yes. Like there's nothing like, in it? Like it's kept at 2,500 degrees for eight hours and then shine light into it. Oh, I think they had sand in there. So there was some minerals in there also. So okay. there was silica in there. And then life forms started being created. Wow. There's all crazy stuff having to do with light. DNA, when they break it down, they, they see light. And they see light arrange itself into DNA coils. If there's a DNA strand and they shine light into a, a vacuum with just a DNA strand, the light will sort of arrange itself into the DNA strand and they remove the DNA strand and the light will stay in that arrangement for up to a month. Wow. That's when they quit doing the experiment. But we're talking about science. But if we... What was I talking about? Oh, life. So if we're eating... I'm getting to the salt. That's the that's where I'm going with. Okay, this. cool, cool. So we we can accept that plants are life and animals are life, but I still think that people aren't grasping the fact that we're consuming consciousness. We're consuming life, and that's the whole point. We are our consciousness ourselves, and when we're eating a plant. We're now that plant is being transmuted to experience life as a human. Mm -hmm. It's like a version of ascension for, mm. for the plant. Right. Uh, and same thing with the animal. However, nobody really thinks of rocks as being conscious. Right. But if we do, if we can accept that the entire earth is living, then when you're adding salt to the water, you're adding a version of life hmm. to your water, which is why... It is also necessary. It's not just necessary because you need the components of the mineral. You're actually like, it's more life. Hmm. I look at everything as life. And 
there's some interesting theories about the the concept of hell being this first level of consciousness, which is mm. the mineral, like the mineral layer of earth being this like first level of consciousness. And then the second level being plants and animals. And then the third level being self-aware humans, which is us. And the fourth level being uh, sort of energetically connected humans, which we're getting to now with the internet where we're all connected. And, mm -hmm. and then eventually we lose our body. But that's a whole other philosophy I'm not going to get into. But if we look at consciousness as actually being mineral, then when you're adding salt, you're adding hmm. like the vital consciousness of this planet to the water, which is important. And you can shift the structure of that by using your energy to go back to what we were saying about the, the words and energy. You can shift the, and the structure and the of salt. That? The salt does that too huh. because the salt's coming from the earth. Right. And so you've taken dead water and made it more dead. Essentially. It's just blank, it's yep. a blank slate. And yep. then you're adding to it salt. And I, I'm saying like, don't think about it as just like you're adding components you need right well you're actually adding like you're adding energy yeah it's shifting the energy of that water which which might be good enough right right i mean it's maybe don't know because right now we're comparing reverse osmosis of water to water that's coming from the earth and the difference with of that would be the salt, right? Like you're essentially connecting it back to the, the silica earth. on the salt, right? So I think that's important. We started to talk. You you started to shift into air and oxygen and breath while we were talking about water, and I didn't want to forget to ask you about breath. But what is um, your yeah? What tell me about breath? So actually, that was actually. That was a vital competition strategy for me. I would make sure that every movement I did allowed for maximum breath. So I was never holding my breath at any point. And huh. when I t taught athletes how to do things, we would, we would talk about this. When you're doing a wall ball, how do you breathe? And it was like basically two breaths per wall ball. Yeah. So that there's not that clenching up. When you say two breaths, do you mean an inhale and an exhale? Or do you mean an inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale? So when you throw the ball up, as you're throwing, it was an exhale. exhale. Yeah. Then as it's dropping, it's an inhale. And then when you catch it, so when the ball's hitting you and you're squatting, that's another exhale. exhale. And then you're, and then I think there's another inhale. It's been a while. Yeah, right. On the way up, yeah. So then on the way up, it's another inhale and you're throwing on an exhale. Otherwise, two people, full breaths. Yeah, two full breaths per wall ball. And th these are short breaths. These are right. Not, yeah. But the, the other way, which everyone does, is when the ball hits you, they clench and hold because yep. it's a heavy ball yeah. hitting you on your chest. And if you turn that into an exhale when it's hitting you and it's forcing the air out, then you almost automatically breathe the air in. Right. Right. But from an energetic standpoint, I think oxygen is much, much more powerful than we give it credit for. And, and some interesting things happening. Most pranayama and a lot of breath work have to do with breath retention, like focusing on the exhale or focusing on holding the breath. Mm -hmm. So Wim Hof is making, 
made breath holding wildly famous yep. and people so i i did his 10-week course a couple years ago and i did it with some friends and they were like not drinking coffee anymore hmm. i noticed myself i didn't feel like eating hmm. and what's happening is your co2 is actually increasing mm-hmm. when you're holding your breath and i think we've been looking at co2 as a poison yeah but o2 means there's oxygen in co2 and so there's something happening with oxygen in the carbon dioxide that i think is undiscovered i think that co2 probably isn't a a poisonous gas well if you are you familiar with bateco breathing yeah where yeah i have a book on it again i read it once i had patrick McEwen on the podcast remind me of it yeah it's uh it's really um because i went through six weeks of wim hof okay i couldn't the the cold um, stuff just threw me for, I did a five minute cold shower and basically that was the day I quit. (laughs) (laughs) This is just no. Um, um, but I always had trouble understanding the physiology and this goes back to kind of the conversation we had about the muse headband. There's a part of me that wants to believe things, but there's another part of me that needs proof. And, um, I could never quite really grasp Wim Hof at like the physiological explanation for what was happening and why would I do this in terms of the, the breath hold, the, the, um, the, you know, 30 inhale and exhale. I never saw a, a massive change in my pushups. Um, that didn't occur for me. And, uh, but when I read this book is called the oxygen advantage. Uh, when I read that it was, it made so much sense to me. It took me a while to get it. Um, this idea that higher levels of carbon dioxide are necessary in your bloodstream for utilization of the oxygen that's in your blood. You, you, your, your organs utilize the oxygen more efficiently when there's a higher level of carbon dioxide present. And the idea in the breathing technique is to learn how to be more capable of more adjusted to higher levels of carbon dioxide without having to take a breath. And he teaches that through na- a lot of nasal breathing. Like he's like, look, humans really were meant to be breathing through their nose, not the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, since I read the book, I've actually been taping my mouth shut, shut at night and actually feel more. I think I sleep better. I get, uh, I'm calmer. I don't drool all over my, all over the place in my, on my pillows. And, uh, it's improved my, he has a, he has a test you do called the, um, I can't remember what it's called. You just quit breathing, right? Yes. You basically breathing normally through your nose and then you stop and you, start a stopwatch and see how long that takes. And I've gone from about when I first started, I was at about a 17 and it's, it's interesting. It's hard to test because it's subjective. It's not hold your breath as long as you can, like against the urge it's to, it's when you first feel the urge to take a breath, that's the end of the test. And so that can be quite challenging at first to figure out what that, what that means. But, uh, now I'm, 
without really doing much of tr- much trying, like I'm not, I'm just taping my mouth shut at night. Uh, I'm probably around 32, you know, seconds. And he's like a good, a good number is to shoot for 40. Like you should be around 40 or 40 or higher. Um, you know, certain athletes who are requiring high performance, you know, would go, should go even higher than that. Or if you're a mountaineer and need to operate in low oxygen environments, but yeah, that's the idea. Now I remember the whole carbon dioxide oxygen thing, which I think is true. And the Boteco, so I've actually done workouts at Mean Streets where we duct taped people's mouths and then did workouts. Yep. I think that also gets into your nervous system too, like your vagus nerve and everything's freaking out more with your mouth breaths. And I actually tried to do Wim Hof mostly through my nose, but it you you don't make as great of strides, yeah. but I don't like that like super like that horse breathing through your. <gasps> yeah, it feels too stressful for me. I mean, I I've done it and have done it, but now if I do Wim Hof, I do it through my nose because. Yeah. But uh. But it's the same thing. Like the CO two is doing something for us, right? And our body is primed to be in an environment with co2 man and then we're talking about life and death and really what does poisonous co2 mean like what does is it a bad thing to uh graduate onto a level of existence beyond this physical body we don't have to go there but uh yeah I've, it's not too weird I've, Ronnie. I've, I've, don't be worried about being weird yeah so these elements that are poisonous sort of like mercury for instance there's a lot of power in mercury and to my understanding this is how you make the the flying saucer work you spin mercury really fast and i with gold i think and and then you can create an anti-gravity effect and also Mm -hmm. anti-inertia effect so you can go 90 degree turns at a thousand miles an hour and be fine so Hmm. the what we term as like positive and negative can be shifted a little bit but that was what i was getting at with oxygen is that co2 oxygen there's something there's something more going on there i believe than like there's something in the energy of it. Like there's a reason why we need oxygen more than we need anything else. We need oxygen every moment of the day. Right. And, and we all share this substance too. Like you and I have been breathing the same oxygen and it's the same oxygen that, uh, Napoleon, the conqueror, like breathe. It's like we've all, we're all sharing this substance. It's, very, it's a very interesting thing to me that comes up a lot for me when I meditate is this air that's going into my lungs through my nose. You know, if you smell a smell, if you smell somebody fart, it was literally that's air that was just up their ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, like it's kind of disgusting when you, when you think about it like that. But we share that without any pause not because we want to, but because we have to, there's no, you wouldn't be alive if you weren't sharing the air. If we, you know, like it's a really, it's a really, you know, yeah. It's providing us life 
constantly. What are your thoughts about living in LA in the air? It's like, I don't want to think about it for like too long. <laughs> yeah. It's like the one thing in my life that I, it's, it's borderline wish was different. I don't, yeah. I try not to wish anything is different, but like living in LA, like you said, it's more of just ignoring. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think that my nasal passages can filter that stuff out, whatever is in there. Probably not true, but right. that's, that's the story. I, that's the story I tell myself. <laughs> like, yeah, when I go outside, yeah, but I'm riding a unicycle or a bike or being outside yeah, out in there? the street. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting because you know we talk about water and the the lengths we go to 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 nourish our bodies with purified sources of things like water, but we're breathing this crap. That's you know this pea soup that you see when you come down from Big Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's not good. Yeah. Like, it's in the back of my mind all the time because it, I don't have an answer actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if you did. Do people that, I mean, I wonder if there are there, I wonder if there's an, a longevity aspect to living in a, in a industrialized city, like do people not live as long? I don't, I have no idea, you know, uh, because of the quality of the air. I think that I've heard there's problems in like Beijing. That's why, yeah. Like the stereotypical, like Asian person in Beijing is wearing like a face mask, right? Yeah. Mexico city, I think is the same thing. Yeah. But, we're probably not that bad here, but it, I think it, we're better than we've been in the past. I, from what I've read, the air quality has improved in Los Angeles over the last 25 years. I think it's like definitely one of the worst in America though. Maybe. maybe. I like to think living on the West side, I'm better off. Well, than you're golden for better, sure. Better off than living in the San Fernando Valley, you know? Yeah. I hope anyway. That's why I go to the beach. Right. And um, we're right back to the beginning. Son, you're, you told me before, well, I looked at it, this, this incredibly cool front yard, and you're like, yeah, I, I'm out here naked sunbathing for I don't know how much time every day. Yeah. Like, what's, what does that do for you? And why, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a bizarre thought. I mean, I think about, the paranoia in the world around sunscreen and spending too much time in the sun. And, uh, you know, my wife thinks I'm nuts when I tell her I don't want any, I don't want any sunscreen. She's like, well, yeah, we're going to be out for two hours in the middle of the day coaching a baseball game. I'm like, yeah, I don't want any sunscreen. It's okay. I'll be okay. Um, that's not normal thinking. My thinking is not normal, normal meaning the norm of the world. Mm -hmm. And even less is the idea that you're out sunbathing, for God's sake. Nobody who sunbathes these days, you know? For me, it's a chore. It's it's like eating for me. I go in the sun just like I would eat every day. And the thing is that we've got so much artificial light around us. We've got the lights in our house, the lights in our phones, the lights in the TVs. When you're driving down the street, you're getting other headlights in your your eyes and on your skin. And 
I really look at that as junk light. Yeah. It's, it's like the fast food equivalent of light. And when you're really looking at light as this vital component of life, you don't want fast food. You don't want the fast food version. There's so much coming off the sun that isn't visible light. And this, this full light spectrum of the sun is in perfect harmony with your body. For the most part, it depends on how much alien manipulation you want to believe happened in our evolution. But we'll just, we'll stay on the planet. The life forms on this planet are, are perfectly in tune with the sun. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one reason to be out in the sun and to make sure that all of your skin gets exposed to the sun. Because there's also cells like in your testicles, for example, that respond to sunlight on them and if we want to go chakra systems so the chakras are like the energies of our body are all associated to different frequencies which are as we were talking about earlier the frequencies are associated not only to sound but to colors Mm -hmm. and so the full color spectrum coming off the sun satisfies all the energies that are everything in our body all the cells vibrate at and all of this stuff combined basically just means we're made to be outside we're not made to be inside in square rooms shielded to the elements of nature but what do you say about things that you know concerns people have with things like skin cancer and you know the harmful rays that you could you know you're sitting out there for god knows how long getting a suntan um I, I get that. I'm just playing devil's ad, yeah. advocate, by the way. Got an um, like, yeah. What What are your thoughts about that? Like, how do you how do you balance those things? Well, I moved to California for the sun because I was living in Michigan, and the summer wasn't long enough for me. It was yeah. a few months, and my entire life I had been out in the sun with my shirt off. Like before, I even had a body, I was out in the sun with my shirt off because it just felt right in the, my, in the summer only. Or yeah, yeah, in the summer only. Yeah, unless you're working really hard on the ice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> my mom's Filipino, so she's darker. My dad's white. However, I have, I have melanin in my skin, and it and it needs the sun. Mm-hmm. I don't think melanin is a protective barrier from the sun. I, I think it's holding the sun, similar to, and yeah, it does. It does. No, I'm just going to go with it's holding the sun. It's because there's melanin throughout our entire body. It's not just on our skin. So this is a transmission of light through Mm -hmm. our body. And it's also associated with your pineal gland. So if you want to talk about meditating, like the light going onto our skin and in our eyes will have positive effects in meditation Mm -hmm. and your, your abilities with your third eye and all that stuff. Uh, Your pituitary gland all of that gets regulated through light. The light coming in your eyes and your skin is... So a lot of people think that... And I'm going to get to your question in a second, but eyes aren't just for seeing. So there's two cords coming off your eye. One goes back to our occipital lobe in our brain, which processes the vision of the light. And then there's another cord that goes to our... I want to say hypothalamus. I don't think it's pineal. I think it goes... To pituitary goes to one of them pituitary hypothalamus or pineal i think it's 
it's one of them hypothalamus i believe and that's generating all the hormones it's like the master hormone control center of your body and it's making all those decisions based on the light coming through your eyes so your eyes aren't just for seeing it's it's scanning your environment and making decisions and if you're a if you're not getting into the sun, it's it's making him, it's it's just not natural. So sunglasses? Yeah, absolutely no? not. Yeah, never. Like in the last fifteen years, and this isn't new knowledge for me. This is stuff I've known about forever. In the last fifteen years, I've worn sunglasses a few times only for wind. Huh. Uh so about the pale-skinned people that live in Southern California or live in Florida or wherever, unfortunately, you're in an unnatural environment for your skin. Right. And like I moved across the country to go to somewhere that had better light exposure for me. If you're in a place that is too strong of sunlight, then yeah, maybe you don't need to go sunbathing every single day for however long I do or looking into the sunset or sunrise because you're already in an abundance of it. So I'm not an advocate of people burning their skin or I'm not saying everyone needs to do what I do. I'm saying that like if you're an African-American and you have high melanated skin, then it is actually necessary for you to be in the sun. Hmm. Just like it's necessary. This is why African-Americans have so many problems here that they don't have in Africa because light is missing from their diet. Hmm. And if you're a Nordic person living in Southern California, then you do what you have to do. You go outside with clothes on and you maybe wear a hat. Mm -hmm. But the sunscreen thing is really iffy. And they're always changing it and they're making it better and there's natural stuff. But for me, it's just really iffy because science can't outsmart like, like we we're missing something. Whenever science gets involved, we're missing whatever we're going to know in 20 years. Right. We don't have right. that now. And so you got to really be careful and make your decisions properly because 20 years ago, the sunscreens were horrible. Not only do they have the chemicals in it, which everyone knows is bad, but the the spectrum of the rays that they were blocking, like it wasn't a complete block. Yeah, right. It was just blocking the part of the sun rays that burn us, which there's this whole other part that goes in and actually does the damage at the deeper levels that we don't feel as a sunburn. But that's what's doing all the damage that would lead to that word cancer, which is almost not even a definable. It's it's like a weird term that's just turned into a fear to use to sell. Uh, Yeah. Cancer, cancer is, it's a growth, right? It's like a growth of tissues. I don't want to get into that. That's well, I had a guy, I mean, in case people are curious at this point, um, I had a guy on my podcast, Eric Remensberger, who cured, who basically, he, he, his, the way he puts it is we're all cancering. He, he, he calls it cancering. I was going to say cancer is normal. Like it's, it's our body adapting. Yeah. He Go said, you, you know, can't when you, when you're either cancering and your body is able to deal with the oxidative stress 
and not allowing the the cancering to continue to to I don't know I'm I'm probably not explaining it exactly the way he would but to grow and to build and your body's naturally your immune system is naturally taking care of those cells that are cancering that are they're they're deformed de- deformed cells sort cells that aren't quite operating exactly the way they should be and um so he was able to actually turn his cancer around he had, he was suddenly diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer and um not given a great prognosis and that was 2 years ago and he's done he's done a little bit of eastern uh I'm sorry a little bit of western but he he managed his own care he did a lot of reading and a lot of research and uh he's actually putting up a he's got a new website coming out he's a lawyer by trade and he's moving into uh, this area of healing because I think his story is so important, and um, he does too. I don't just think that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he's going he's going to be uh, yeah tell, telling his story a lot more. It's uh, it's really really cool how he developed his own protocol um, through various different things. So if you want to listen to a fascinating conversation about that. If you've got cancer or know somebody that does, it would be worth your time. Eric Remensberger. I don't remember which podcast it was, but it's good stuff. Yeah, this this is all health. Just the, the concept of health and life is very complex, which is it's why it's good you're doing podcasts. Because yeah. getting this information to people when there's like it's so confusing yeah. on how to live. Yeah, uh, you, when you're faced every day with a new headline in the news, you know that are that conflict what the headline was 10 years before or five years before you know which diet is it now is it keto is it you know Mm -hmm. um uh, it's just yeah it's crazy it's crazy making um we've 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 officially hit the record for longest ever andy petronic podcast which i'm very excited about actually (laughs) two hours and 15 minutes and that's without that's without an introduction that's without uh, any ads put in. We are raw, like it's fantastic. Like I, I mean, I could keep going. I feel like you know, it's it's interesting because I've, I, uh, when I started podcasting, I, Joe Rogan was on my radar, like just because he was a re- successful person who's got a huge following. Mm-hmm. But I could never. I've probably made it through five total Joe Rogan podcasts and they've always been with people who I'm just really compelled to listen to. Like I wanted to listen to the Lance Armstrong story because he was one of my heroes when I was doing all my adventure racing and cycling and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on and, and every time that, you know, let's see, Mark Sisson was on. That was a really cool pod, really good, really good one. Um, but he does a lot of fight conversations that I just can't. I mean, like I'm not into, I'm not into right. MMA, so I don't even care. And um, but anyway, I never really got. How could you have a three freaking hour conversation? You know, and I've usually stopped conversations, even if they're good, around the hour fifty mark or hour forty mark. You know, just because like God, this is getting long. You know, it's. But man, I haven't felt like that for one moment. You warned me at the beginning. You're like, my podcasts tend to go long. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they do. 
Oh, I love talking to you. Yeah, because we're we've always been fifteen miles apart and yeah. strangers. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and now we're brought together by unicycling. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've got a feeling there's going to be a part two because uh, there's way more questions. I mean, my brain is a flurry of questions, and I'm going to go explore some stuff. I got to go take some Kundalini yoga and. Um, but, uh, and I'm definitely going to be doing more unicycling. So yes, that's in the future. Yes. Thank you so much. How, how do people, um, find you? I know you're about to launch something or are you, can you announce that or. So the, the best way is Instagram and right now it's raw R a underscore N O L D. And I'm working on, I'm, I'm part of a startup and we are putting together a online yoga membership, which is pretty cool. It's in my mind going to be offering the public and the teachers on it something that isn't available right now. And that'll all be announced on my Instagram, but right now we're not set up for a public sort of launch, so it's not available to go, to go see, but I encourage people to follow me and then get linked up with that in a few months. We, uh, yeah, I was just talking right before you came. I was talking to my partner about going to Costa Rica to do a bunch of filming, which, oh, cool. <laughs> which we might do in a couple of weeks, which is going to be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Costa Rica is great. Yeah. So I think that's it. And there may be some videos of us unicycling together yeah. up there. So. And I've got, uh, a lot of people ask me questions and feel free to do that. I'm, I'm pretty good at pointing people in the, the right direction. Cool. Thank you. Thanks again. Yeah, thank it's you. It's been great. Hey, it's Andy. And thanks so much for listening. If you want to know more about what I'm learning each month, head over to andypetronic.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. If you were touched, moved, or inspired by anything you heard today, chances are someone else you know would be too please take a moment to think about who and send them a link to this episode. And if you're super stoked, please head over to iTunes to read a review. The best way to keep current on guests and episodes is to subscribe so that the latest one will automatically get delivered straight to your phone. The apps I used for this are Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or Pocket Casts. The Andy Petronic Podcast is produced by our team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. Big thanks to Nikki Grudadaria for the artwork. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. I'm Andy Petronic. Thanks for listening.